All right. Round two. We're going to try this again. Our first podcast didn't go as, uh, as good as we would like. but No one right. will know that except for us. No one will know. No one's going to know. Well, now they're going to know. No one's going to know. All right. <laughs> Sorry. A little TikTok joke, I guess, there. Um, so I, I'm Sean. We got my dad over here, John. We got somebody else that's here. We got Jeremiah, <laughs> William, and Larry. Hello. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what's going on in the world today and how we react as Christians. And uh, we don't have a name of this podcast, so we're kind of a no-name right now. But let's just kind of jump into it. We've been... Um, since the last time we tried this, a lot's happened. Um, we have a new president that had just gotten inaugurated last time we did this, and lots of things have happened since then. But um, today we kind of want to talk about cancel culture, maybe some free speech and some other things. What do you think? Sounds good to me. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So let, let's start with a, a quick definition. Jeremiah, why don't you read the definition off Wikipedia? This is, this is straight up uh, off Wikipedia, which is um, the best thing on the internet. It's always 100% accurate. The question is, what is cancel culture? Glad you asked. <laughs> cancel culture is a modern form of ostracism in which someone is thrust out of social or professional circles, whether it be online or social media or in person. Those who are subject to this ostracism are said to have been canceled. This, the expression cancel culture has mostly negative connotations and is commonly used in debates on free speech and censorship. Yeah. So basically it means if you do something that somebody doesn't like, they don't let you do it ever again. And they kind of remove you and ostracize you from society. Society mostly sits on social media now. I haven't really noticed much cancel culture outside of social media. But, you know, on the daily living cancel culture exists heavily in uh, social media for sure. I would probably, I'd probably chime in here and say that the cancel culture that you see on a daily would be more like ghosting maybe. Okay. So you see, what, what do you mean by ghosting? Yeah, so did some you say ghosting, ghosting. Yeah. Okay. For the, for the older gentlemen in the, uh, or the older people in the audience <laughs> here. Uh, yeah. Ghosting is, is when, uh, you know, you're trying to have a conversation with your friend and uh, all of a sudden they just stop responding. And uh, days go on, and you're like, hey, what happened? I thought we were friends, and uh, you're not talking anymore to me. So sort of that kind of thing. And, and we can see that sometimes in physical spaces, too, where, you know, like, hey, let's meet up here, and, um, you know, so-and-so doesn't show up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think ghosting applies um, big time in that sense is w in the dating scene online now. A lot of people meet each other online, and <laughs> you try to... I know me and Jeremiah are not doing that anymore, but there was a point where we were meeting girls online to date, and easily they would just stop talking to you out of nowhere, and you'd be like, what happened? So uh, I guess you could look at that kind of as, I don't know exactly what you meant, William, but it's a little bit cancel-ish. Yeah, I mean, you have a couple of conversations with friends, you get a little bit edgy about what you're talking about, and then you start to notice the conversation gets a little more... Well, you start talking less and less about certain topics, and then you realize you start talking less and less at all, and you start to wonder, okay, wait, they, they haven't engaged me in a conversation in a while. What happened? Mm -hmm. you know, so it's more of a subtle maybe cancel culture, but I think there's definitely a pull of ideas where the people are kind of feeling more and more separated and less and less together. Yeah, Larry. Okay, I'm, I'm feeling in this conversation 
uh, what you guys are describing, a, a sense of self-centeredness that says, uh, it's not about me, so it's like you don't even exist. Like the ghosting thing you're talking about. It's I'm suddenly not interested. And why is that? I think it's not caring. Part of it not caring. Part of it, it's only about me. Absolutely. I'm just throwing that out there. Self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. Selfishness. It's a big issue for sure. I think um, as Christians, how are we supposed to respond to cancel culture? Well, I think cancel culture is something that is permeating our culture more and more. And as Christians, we are especially in the United States, we're called to be responsible citizens and we're called to uh, use the voice that we have in the culture in order to um, profess Christ, to share Christ, to glorify God. And uh, so cancel culture can be applied to Christians and really it has been applied to Christians for centuries. Um, uh, another way to look at it is persecution. Um, we're, we see cancel culture today as something where people are um, ostracized, they're kicked off social media in some way. But of course, Christians have been kicked off the planet <laughs> in uh, persecution, and that's happening today in different uh, countries, not necessarily in our country. So Christians have actually been experiencing this since the beginning. Uh, if you remember when uh, the Sanhedrin told the apostles not to preach the name of Christ, right? In a way, that's a form of cancel culture. And so I think partly what we're doing here with this discussion is just bringing uh, the awareness uh, to Christians that actually this is nothing new, but it is something that affects us because it affects our witness. And yeah. um, that's why we are concerned about it and want to discuss it. So cancel culture leads into free speech, right? As Americans, we have the right to free speech. And Larry and I were talking about it yesterday uh, I guess William was there too, but you know we hear a lot of the times on the right how people say it's our God-given right to free speech. Where is our, where does it show that it's our God-given right to have free speech, and how did we come up with that? I would say that that concept comes from the fact that Christ came to bring us freedom. He came to set the captives free. And so part of, um, part of that freedom has included the freedom of speech and the freedom to um, pursue your own destiny, that kind of thing. And what's interesting is that freedom is really not the normal state of man, uh, politically, historically, individual rights and individual freedoms have not really been on the forefront of uh, the rights of people. And throughout history, 
most people have been under some some forms of bondage. For instance, when we look back at the uh, first century, we understand that a very large portion of the population was in some sort of servitude, either outright slaves or uh, bond servants, some, something like that. So this American experiment that we have and this um, Western culture that is geared towards free speech is actually a relatively new thing. And it has its roots in you know the French Revolution, Descartes, a lot of the uh, the philosophers of the 16th, 17th, and 18th centuries. But uh, since we as Americans do have that, it is a thing to be cherished, mainly because it gives us an open door in order to share the gospel with people. Okay, but our God-given right to free speech? See, yeah. I, I kind of see where you're going, but at the same time, biblically speaking, I don't think free speech is a God-given right in it, in it of itself. I would agree with you. I'm just saying that where the gospel has gone, freedom has followed as the people of Christ have been influencing the culture. And Jesus did say, I have come to set the captives free. So that is the, the freedoms that we see and experience, I believe, are a direct result of the influence that the gospel has on people's hearts and from that on the cultures that people are in. So God-given right is perhaps a little um, extreme, but gospel benefit, gospel yeah. fruit, I would I it would say. It aids in the uh, spreading is. of the gospel, I think is what you're trying to say. But even with inside the confines of the gospel, like God tells us, or you know, you've got to control your tongue. What you say says a lot about you, right? It's not like this free check to say whatever you like, which a lot of American Christians take advantage of. I can say whatever I like. It's free speech. And they don't seem to recognize that going into that is the ability to actually say, no, you actually have to consider what you're saying because it is a witness to who Jesus is and who he is in your life. Yeah, I, I just don't like the concept of how a lot of people that lean right always use the term our God-given right to guns, our God-given right to free speech, our God-given right to this. But re in reality, that's not, I don't believe that that's accurate. I think that we have God-given rights in the sense of he's, ch clearly America was blessed by God more than any country in existence, really, it seems like. And with that, God changed or allowed the founding fathers to create a constitution that does seem very good for people. And because God had the authority over allowing this document or, you know, our constitution to be made, then it appears as God given. But in reality, it's not biblical to say that God gave the Americans free speech. Yeah, it, 
but the Constitution, it doesn't pop out of a vacuum. It pops out of there's historical influence, like I was talking about the influence of different philosophers. And part of the American philosophy that was the foundation of the Constitution was that and it's, it's stated in the founding documents that there are certain um, rights that are God-given. And so it's, I don't think, I agree with you, it's not, it, it would be hard to say it's explicitly a biblical concept, but it definitely is part of the American philosophy, certain inalienable rights, um, the right to happiness, to property, all those kinds of things are enshrined in the founding documents. And so um, because of that, and because that's the foundation of the Constitution, I think when the Bill of Rights come, come along, they, they are born of that same foundation. So not necessarily a biblical right. Well, it just seems like we're taking advantage of God by saying, how did we say that yesterday, Larry? I'm going somewhere else. Okay. Uh, um, I'm thinking two things here. For the Christian and the American, for the words, we are in America and we, are, we claim to be Christians. And so we have the Word of God, which is the Bible, and we have the Constitution. Now, we know the Bible we believe to be inspired by God. Amen. And I wonder if we're all in unison that the Constitution inspired by God as well. Any comments on that? <laughs> I don't want to sound like uh, blasphemous. I mean, I agree. I think, I think there's lots of things around the world that have God's inspiration behind it. Um, but when we're talking about inspiration, I think a lot of us look at from, you know, I think a lot of us understand scripture really well, but the inspiration of scripture is he heavily different than inspiration that God provides on other things. Agreed. Right. I think that, um, when there's a, a biblical term, we have to be zealous to guard that term. And so inspiration is definitely a biblical theological term and, but um, even though saying that, I have to agree with you. I think that America at its founding is, a, is an out-and-out -out miracle. It should not have happened. We should not have defeated the British. Um, there, are, there were so many things that were interventions of God when you, um, when you study the history. But that's, that's something we take by faith, right? But then in, as a result of that, man put together the Constitution. The, the right. great minds, our forefathers, you know, they did that. And uh, in no way do they consider that to be the Word of God as the Bible is. Sure. I know they are, uh, so we agree, they are two different things. And I think it's relative to when Christ spoke, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And so we, you know, we have the Bible that we can claim as the Word of God and we turn there to see like what would Jesus do as is the cliche uh, the Constitution is our laws that we set up that we set up to live in America so we we honor and the Bible tells us to honor you know such things 
so they're I don't know where I'm going with this, but <laughs> I just they're two different things. But I so, I kind of feel that God calls me to honor the Constitution and have high respect for it, but it's not the Bible. Well, the uh, you know the Bible is the Word and the words of God directly. Amen. Okay, but I would agree wholeheartedly with the concept that our Constitution has the fingerprints of God on it. Mm. It's not inspired so that it's infallible. It's right. not the very words of God as Scripture um, are the words of God. But uh, again, be this... I. I just believe that because Christ came to bring freedom, that and that anything that tends toward freedom in a way that's positive and uh, edifying, I I believe that that has uh, the Lord's uh, it, the Lord is behind that. You know, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of Lights, and. We know that Satan, on the other hand, what, what is the history of what Satan has done in, throughout world history and throughout all the societies and the cultures of man? Satan has brought bondage over and over and over again, and he roams about seeking whom he may devour. And um, this gift of freedom that we have in America and in the West not just America. I just believe it's uh, we have to give God the glory for it. And as Christians in America, we're we are unique throughout the history of uh, Christianity because we because of that freedom that we have, we have a responsibility as citizens like few others have had throughout church history. So we have a responsibility to the kingdom of God, to glorify God, to make disciples of all nations. But on the other hand, we also have responsibility as citizens to use our standing and our rights as citizens in order to uh, bless our fellow citizens and ultimately lead them to Christ. But I think it begins with that foundation of love for our fellow citizens and desiring their good and uh, serving them in such a way that we bring that about as Christians. So circling back to cancel culture, you have um, a lot of these big social media people that are getting uh, blocked on social media for exposing truth. Um, for example, James O'Keefe from Project Veritas, he has exposed, I mean, if you go back how many years, tons of years now, he was one of the first people that went into the Planned Parenthoods and showed videos of them basically just doing horrible things and saying horrible things about children. And now to this day, he's, he's exposed CNN and exposed major media as being completely... Um, bias and lying to the public and 
So what do they do when he exposes these things? They completely block him. Now, as a Christian, I want to fight for truth at all, at all times. I want to be someone standing there in opposition to lies and deceit. But at the same time, I can't do that in just raw emotion and anger. I also have to speak the truth in love. So where do we as Christians stand and where are we supposed to be in relation to cancel culture? Yeah, that that is an issue that the church is grappling with now, I think. And if it continues to become more and more extreme, I think that I think that the church will have to grapple with it more and more. It's we're going to sort of be forced into it. So that's one of the reasons we're bringing this topic um, out in in this podcast because it's I think it's an unavoidable topic for Christians. Sometimes we want to play the ostrich and put our heads in the sand about what's happening in the culture, but in this case, it affects the gospel. It affects the glory of God. So, yeah. But what's next? Because soon enough they're going to cancel anyone who says anything in opposition to what they believe inside the church are we going to get to the point where our god-given right of free speech they say that with a joke right but do we get to the point where that free speech that we have is no longer free speech inside your church you know if you say something i mean clearly anyone who's a bible believing christian knows that there is sin and if sin does exist and right now, sin is being displayed in our culture like it's supposed to be promoted and loved. And if we speak out against any of those sins and say, hey, this is not okay, are we going to get first cancel cultured social media side where you know, our church can no longer stream on YouTube because of something that our pastor said? And then it is, is it going to work its way into cancel culture on the governmental level where government is going to come in? I mean, we're already seeing things like that in Canada where people aren't wearing their face masks and they're going out and doing things and then cops are knocking down their doors and taking them to jail. Where does the, the Christian church in the U.S. go from here? Are we on that path? Well, I think, go ahead. Well, I think that Christians use God as their standard. So when you talk about free speech, I mean, there's a lot of scripture that talks about the tongue and the way it should be used. And um, the world and the cancel culture that's going on now, I'd like to know by what standard are they using? If they're, if they're not Christian, um, which would be God is your standard, then what standard do they have to base everything on? Who's right and who's wrong? How do you decide? Where does that go? You base it off your own feelings. That's the feelings? easiest way to do that. Yeah. Yeah, but you still have to have enough people that agree with your feelings for something like this. I think there's a popularity aspect to it, too. Right? Someone's feelings, and everybody else's feelings. Yeah. Media. Whatever then. they say is what you're supposed to believe. So, media is the multiplier factor of someone's feelings. Okay, but where I'm going with this, I'll, you know, to make a long issue short, get to the chase, cut to the chase on it is without standard, without. Like for the Christian, we have God, and I think that's that's awesome. That's what I believe. Was that's meant, our worldview, yeah. That, right. That's what I believe was meant to be uh, by God Himself. 
But if you don't believe that and you're out in the world and you're not a Christian and you don't believe in God and you don't have a, a standard such as God to kind of, where you're going to end up in total chaos. I don't see where, how life could survive. Yeah, when people don't have an ultimate authority that they look to, it's hard to have clear and objective standards. You know, on the other side of Christianity, you look at the Jews, you look at Islam, you look at these ones, they have standards. It's the, it's the next generation who are, I guess most of them would call themselves atheists or agnostic where they just don't care either way. They have no moral standard that they live by. You're absolutely so right. Is that a part of the definition then of cancel culture is to throw out whatever standard might have been in place? I don't necessarily think that. And the reason why is because I think there's a lot of people that might say they believe in God. They just get so caught up in the emotion. Oh, well, we can't be mean to that person. We can't be mean to that person. We've got to accept these things. And then if you speak out against it. So I don't want to say it's the Christian church's fault, but maybe um, a strengthen. Uh, <laughs> we talked about this the other day, but how when my dad was young, they, it was all fire and brimstone in the churches, and now right. it's all lovey-dovey. And I wonder if the lovey-dovey is not doing a great job in certain situations, not every situation, obviously, but right. maybe we need a little bit more, you know, what we said this the other day, too, was that, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Does our culture, for those who do believe, because you're saying, you know, we're trying to separate people who believe, or let's just say not even necessarily Christianity, but let's say people who believe in a higher power that have some sort of moral standard. Right. Do they, do the people who have that, are they following that standard to a T or are they just letting the whims of the world come in and what's that verse? That's, I don't know, but that's a good, good question either way. That's, I, I don't have the answer to that. I think um, what we see in culture typically is people who are leading movements, either um, overtly or from, from the background. And then uh, we have uh, others who are following. And typically the, the leaders are few and the followers are many. And I. What we're seeing in culture now, nowadays is uh, we're seeing riots and where the, the masses have been, um, they've been inspired to uh, follow their outrage that I think is, uh, to a large degree, trumped up and it's, it's um, you know, based on a false narrative. So, and this is nothing new because <laughs> um, this idea of freedom that we've been talking about, it being sort of somewhat a new thing. Um, throughout history, there have always been those who have wanted power and they are the few and 
um, sometimes they're called the elite, and they seek to gain power by whatever means they can. And so, for instance, with this uh, trial we're having in the George Floyd case, we have one of uh, the representatives uh, in the, in the uh, Congress, Maxine Waters, who's out there, and she is basically uh, drumming up the crowd. She's inspiring them, and she's saying things that would get people to react um, perhaps violently. Hostile, yeah. Just for the exact quote that she said, she in re the video that she's talking in, someone says, what should we do if, if there's no guilty verdict, basically? And she says, we've got to stay on the street. We've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. And this yeah. is a leader in the government. Right. So typically these, these movements, like I say, they don't happen in a vacuum. And uh, uh, there's often behind them, especially in our country, because the elite are put into power by getting the most votes, ostensibly. And so if, if the masses can sort of be le led in one direction or another, even if it's based on a false narrative, if their outrage can be um, fanned and their reaction becomes more and more emotional. For instance, we had the Black Lives Matter movement um, this last year, which um, so much of what they were saying was based on a false narrative, out and out lies. And um, there, was, there was an agenda, especially with the leadership, two out of three of the leaders in the Black Lives Matter are avowed communists and, and their goal is a collectivist society and in order to do that according to you know the the doctrines of communism in order to do that you have to overthrow the government that is there and I think that the agenda that it, trying to overthrow the powers that be that's what we saw being manifest in 2020, especially in the Black Lives Matter movement. Why? Because in order to overthrow the current um, governmental system uh, in favor of a collectivist system, first you've got to destroy all confidence in the, um, in the institutions that exist. And especially starting out by destroying confidence in the police and the government and where they get people to focus on uh, burning government buildings and police stations and all that kind of thing. So what I'm uh, just, I'm trying to bring awareness to the fact that uh, these things are not as generic as some might believe they are. There's, there's people who have agendas that are behind this kind of thing. And as Christians, we need to be, be aware of that fact. Otherwise, you know, we won't be able to 
fight them where we should for the sake of the gospel. And I think that free speech, the free speech that we have in our country is vital, or at least it may not be vital, but it's, it's, a, it's a benefit that allows us to share the gospel openly. And um, for instance, Paul, he, uh, he prayed that he, uh, he would have an open door in order to um, share the gospel. And so we have an open door, much more open than Paul had. And I think we need to, to guard that. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> we need to guard that. But to what extent do we guard that? Like, do we... If I mean, how far to, do we go? Yeah, how far do we go? Do right. we, do we go to life, do we Don't go pull a Maxine Waters. Do we go to war? Like, do we take up arms against the government? How far do we go to guard this free speech we have? Because I think we're called to honor our government, right? So where's that line? Well, that, that call to honor the government is not absolute. Um, we the know, free we know speech that, isn't absolute either. We know that the apostles, they were told by the, the, the government to stop preaching Christ. And they said, who should we obey? Man or you or God, man or God. And so uh, we, but we're definitely called, as you're saying, uh, to believe that God has provided governments and that if we, if we resist the government, then we will suffer the consequences. And the apostles actually did suffer consequences from um, obeying God rather than man. So, again, it's a balance. And as I, as I have mentioned uh, today, we as Christians in America, because of the freedoms that we have and, and in the West, and we have these rights as citizens, we have this responsibility to try to um, maintain free speech, for instance, because it's a freedom that is a blessing and a, and a benefit to, uh, to the kingdom of God and a blessing upon, you know, our fellow citizens. Okay, I have a question. Free speech, meaning it doesn't matter what the content is? It doesn't matter what you say or how you say it? Well, for me personally, I think that free speech shouldn't have any restrictions. I think we as people are required to use common sense. So if somebody is acting crazy, saying crazy things, then you can you can choose to just ignore them or be away from them. Hello, Moto. <laughs> so what I mean is, you know, when businesses, for example, they, they take these stands, they boycott things, and we, we were talking about that before we started our podcast, but they, these companies decide to boycott things. Well, when a company chooses to stand behind something that I know as a Christian is wrong, I put my money where my mouth is. I stop spending money with that company. I just choose, you know, I'm done with it. You know, Netflix, they had this whole thing with that TV show or movie or whatever it was called Cuties. 
And just looking at it, I didn't get that deep into it. I don't know really what it was about, but it seemed good enough to me that I no longer needed to get Netflix because of that. So I stayed away from it. So you canceled them. Well, <laughs> I as an individual am able to choose to cancel one person. But I. the difference is when you're doing something and you get the entire country to cancel one specific thing, there. It's, it's called cancel culture because they really want to silence you. They don't want opposition to what they believe. Yeah, I think um, the fact that Twitter permanently canceled President Trump is um, it's a manifestation of the, f the fact that Twitter is part of the power structure on the left. And they... They haven't canceled, uh, you know, the North Koreans. They haven't canceled the Chinese. They haven't canceled all kinds of racist individuals. Um, but they canceled Trump. Why? Because Trump used Twitter in order to get elected. And so it's their desire to cancel him, not on the basis of any moral outrage, but it's just a pure um, vehicle in order to seek political power. Mm -hmm. So, Well, we have a good example of this too, right? Trump canceled the official reason given because of the inciting violence on January 6th. And then we have Maxine Waters, who today, as she has done in the past... Or yesterday, yeah. Or whatever day it was, right? Effectively inciting violence, saying very similar words. Sure. Uh one may say that she has a much more higher chance of it happening because of her words. It's a possibility. I'm not going to go that far just because I don't want someone trying to cancel me, but it's <laughs> out there, right? Uh, so you, you have to see that Twitter is out there and they're making decisions. And if you were to look at it objectively, you could say it seems like it leans one direction. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not software that is doing it for them. Yeah. They're, they're, they have people hired to go and watch specific people. And take them out when they can. So, and Project Veritas has brought a lot of that hypocrisy out. As a matter of fact, they sure have. There are lots of lawsuits. So we'll see. You know, in the future, as I know that today, uh, Project Veritas filed a lawsuit in the New York Supreme Court against CNN um, for some of the things that they've said about them. And so there, we'll, we'll see where a lot of this discussion goes as far as free speech and. Um, cancel culture <laughs> because they're going to start suing these companies all the time and we're going to have precedent soon enough about what you can and can't do. So we're, a lot of the stuff we're talking about today could be completely worse in a year from now or two years or it could be all fixed and now we have nothing to talk about. So <laughs> That'd be nice. It, w it would be nice in the sense of that cancel culture is a lot less dramatic now and a lot... Um, more people are able to see what the truth is out there and just kind of have their eyes open and media will stop blatantly lying, hopefully. But I think the only way that happens, though, is Christ's return. Like, that's the only way, right? We're always going to have something we to talk about. We do know it's going to get worse and worse. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know why, as Christians, and it's funny, we can laugh about it a little bit, but we know things are going to get worse and worse yet. You know, when you look at look at the Bible, it tells us what's going to happen. We, we, we act so shocked... <laughs> <laughs> when it does get bad. We act shocked when we know that uh, they're canceling us and we recognize that Christ told us it was going to happen. They yeah. were going to persecute us. 
because they persecuted him. So, Bob, you've been really quiet over there. you have any comments? Not yet. Not yet. Not okay. Yet. <laughs> Circumspect. Yeah. All right. Well, um, my comment is the entire chapter of John 5, but I'll just leave it at that. Okay. okay we have homework. So everyone's <laughs> got to read John 5. Yeah, I think uh, you'll get a really good example of what free speech looks like. Jesus will tell you that his free speech or free actions is based solely on what God tells him to do. Okay. Um, and his relationship with God is out of love. So, I don't know, I think there's a lot that we can learn from that, that we need to study what God is up to in our world. We need to find out in Scripture who, how he wants us to love the people around us, how he wants us to reach out um, in grace, in truth. Um, and, and then we'll find the freedom that we have to speak to people. Um, if we say anything outside of that, I would almost argue that th that wasn't for us to speak. Um, yeah. I'd like to leave us with one exhortation from Scripture as Christians. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And that salt is definitely the Word of God and the Holy Spirit the influence, that those influences in our lives. And um, we do need to be circumspect and think before we speak and remember to speak out of love and be gracious, All no right. matter who we're talking to. <laughs> yeah. any, any last comments? Well, we have homework. Yeah, we have homework. John, so John chapter John 5. Five. Maybe make that a part of the discussion next time. Yeah. All right, well, thanks for anyone who listened, and uh, we'll see you next time. All right.